brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This semester for our weekly Newman Nights, we've been watching the first ever multi-episode, multi-season television show based on the life of Jesus Christ called The Chosen. This week, actually, we're, we're finishing up with episode eight. And if you've fallen in love with the show like I have, you'll be happy to know they're, they're already filming season two right now with the hopes of it being ready for this coming Easter. But in the third episode of this season titled, Jesus Loves the Little Children, there was this particular scene that is especially poignant. Jesus is seen doing some manual work as a, as a craftsman, as a carpenter. He would be doing all sorts of building and construction. And this little band of children who've encountered him and have been coming back with more and more kids each week to visit him are, are on this particular day helping him with some of his work. They're doing like little projects for him. So he's got his own little workshop going there. So you see them busily doing all these minor little tasks as Jesus asks them, so who, who here knows the Shema? And they all look up and they all raise their hands as they do. And he asks them if they could pray for him. As they continue with all their little projects, they all respond in unison these words. Words that were instinctive to them. Committed to their minds and hearts with a a purity, a simplicity, and an innocence that you can so often encounter when, when you're talking with children. Words that they had heard in the morning when they arose, said together with their families at night before they went to bed, uttered by parents and grandparents at family gatherings or holy days in the temple. They're the words that we just heard Jesus saying in the gospel. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. These words were, were so central to the heart of the Jew, coming from one of the earliest parts of their journey with God when he first gave them these words in the book of Deuteronomy. It was of such importance because it spoke of the specialness of their identity as God's chosen people. It distinguished them from any other and every other person on earth. The God who created everything, who set everything into motion, who commanded the wind and the sea. He had made the Jews his chosen ones. And as long as they remained faithful, they were to be his people and he would be their God. 
But time moved on and their stories unfolded and that relationship matured and at times the Jews would fall away and God would have to create a new path for them back to be reconciled again with him and again and again. We read that throughout the Old Testament that continued to unfold and every time that happened, more and more rules and expectations on how to navigate life and everything evolved as well. So the scriptures grew to encompass well over 600 laws, all of which had an importance and a reason for their inclusion. Some that were urgent and non-negotiable, like the Ten Commandments. Some came about for sanitary reasons and the health and protection of their people. Some that helped people grow in, in faith and maturity. Some prescribing how to worship. And because people are people, some things took on greater urgency for one person than for another. So if you're a butcher, if you're a Jewish butcher, you're going to be a little bit more attentive to what makes something kosher and what doesn't. And if you're a rabbi, you're going to pay a little bit more attention to the significance of the number of threads that are on a tassel of your religious garment. These things had all, though, become part of the law, included things directly uttered by God to his people, and then those that came through prophets, teachers, and leaders that he had appointed. But not surprisingly, as human nature hasn't changed too much in thousands and thousands of years, people would start to argue about what was the most important. The butcher didn't really care about those tassels as much as the rabbi did. And if you're a regular Jewish family, you probably weren't too obsessed about either of those things. And again, human nature being what it is, the different groups thought what was most important to them and their interests and their everyday lives and routines and work was the most important thing of all. So for the kosher butcher, for example, if he saw someone not being as cautious or as particular and careful about the rules as he was, he might be concerned or frustrated or think that like, you know, some self-righteous thoughts like, who does he think he is? He calls himself kosher? That's not kosher. Why doesn't anyone care as much as I do? Do you know how hard it is to be precise and careful and do the right thing? I didn't choose to do this. This is what God commanded us to do. That's just one example. The rabbis themselves argued what exactly constituted the law. When was it in force? There were some that were only particular to being in Jerusalem, but did people have to follow them when they were outside the city? Who determined that? With that background, you get a sense of what a loaded question it was that the scholar of the law was asking in the gospel tonight. He wanted Jesus to jump into the fray with all these different groups and all these different leaders and scholars who all had a variety of opinions and could be very passionate about their being right and someone else not. Now, this comes on the heels of what we've been hearing the last few weeks at Sunday Mass. Jesus having this back and forth with those who were skeptical of Jesus and arguing with him. More than just disagreeing with him, they have been trying to entrap him, accuse him, discount him, raise more critics or opponents against him. So this scene is just the latest attempt. It seems like... Jesus is getting trapped or cornered once again, and he answers it seemingly by not answering, which is what frustrates him even more, because they're coming at Jesus, they're coming at God with malice. But in Jesus responding to them with the Shema, 
by calling them back to their roots, to what is the foundation of the law and the prophets. He's getting to the heart of the matter, their hearts. And this being proclaimed in this time and in this space is just as urgent as he's worried about our hearts. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And for good measure, Jesus raises the importance of extending that love by saying, and your neighbor is yourself. It's easy for us to point in the book where we're doing something right and someone else is doing something wrong. Who's in and who's out? A great example, you see that most especially in an election year. God help us, people are losing their minds. It's a temptation for me to show you the piles of emails I have telling me to tell you who to vote for and pointing to all the places and things in scriptures as a basis for why I should. And very helpful also who that person should be. And with the media and politicians who are all broken and sinful people, with a church and a leadership that are as well, just as every single one of us is, it's a way more complicated thing and it's somewhat ridiculous for someone to say, a Catholic in good standing could or should vote for so-and-so. There's so much confusion, there's so much misinformation, there's so many important issues to address. So yeah, I feel that urgency and the importance of the election. Especially when, for example, there's some who wanna say abortion, the destruction of the most innocent of human life in a mother's womb is no more important than the right for someone to join a union and puts that on an equal level. I seriously got a voter's guide from someone that was arguing this. So everyone's losing their mind. But the reason our politics is so messed up is because that's a reflection of our world and our daily lives. People do the same thing on a regular basis. Look around and say and determine who's following God's law better than who isn't. Who does he think he is going to mass? I know he's sleeping with his girlfriend. Well, what about you? You gossip all the time like you just did. Well, who asked you? You cheated on your test. Well, that's not as bad as sleeping with someone outside of marriage, is it? Well, besides, the teacher doesn't care. It's only one, one credit class, and everyone else is doing it. You gossip. It's easy to kind of fall into the everyone pointing their fingers at everyone else thing. The reality is far more challenging, far less black and white. It's important to remember that Jesus came to defeat evil all evil. So this call to love isn't some hippie, do whatever you want, it's all good, like relativistic message. Jesus doesn't tell people to ignore sins. Time and time again, he reiterates the importance of repentance, of turning away from sin, and goes even further in forgiving sin. That's what initially had the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scholars all losing their minds. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who indeed? Jesus is indeed the Lord our God. And this gospel is about getting us back to basics, back to the foundations of everything. The reason that I can't and wouldn't make an endorsement for, for anyone from the pulpit, the reason we need to check ourselves on every level about all the accusations we make towards one another is because the, the greatest of commandments of what's utmost important to the Lord is that you and me, that we love the Lord our God with our heart, all our soul, all our mind, 
and our neighbor as ourselves. That has to be the foundation. That has to be the starting point. That doesn't give us a pass on any of the important issues in an election or in our studies or how we act in the parking lot when we leave mass or the guy I see in my class that acts differently, that I have such a witty comment that it's going to make everyone laugh if I say it. It covers those and every other thing we can think of. The things I do and refrain from, the words I speak and those that I don't, the thoughts and feelings that I nurture and the ones I dismiss, the relationships I'm in, whether it's friendship or boyfriend, girlfriend or parent, child or spouse, how I respond to people who hate me and mistreat me, how I treat those I hate, those all reflect to what degree I love the Lord our God. Is it really with all my heart, my soul, and my mind? Does Jesus' second commandment, the part about our neighbors, even have a shot after that? For the last four days, people have been coming and going in and out of our chapel for our 40 hours of Eucharistic adoration. And it was beautiful to experience and see so many people joining us, both in person and online, and from all over the place. And one of the, the hopes was for us to renew our awe and our wonder that Jesus Christ himself becomes real and present to us in the Eucharist that we receive, that we worship, that we offer our reverence for in every Catholic church that we go that has that tabernacle there. And as we spent time over the days hearing eight different speakers who all touched upon the reality of how difficult and challenging the times are that we're living in, the real and legitimate struggles that we face from a variety of different vantage points, whether it was sharing a personal testimony or a reflection on scripture or the witness of all the saints, each and every one of them pointed back to the answer to all of our fears, the healing of all of our ails, the only hope, the one who is the way and the truth and the life, the one whom even the wind and sea obey all pointing back to Jesus. And as we worshipped him in that Eucharistic host, we were caught up by the littleness and the humility and the accessibility in how he offers himself to us. He knows how hard and how difficult and how challenging life is. He knows our pains and our fears. He experienced them all and then some on the cross which is why he remains to, with us in such meek humbleness for us to be able to taste and see his goodness. He calls us to this great commandment to love him with all our hearts, souls, and minds because that's how he loved us. And that's how he loves us. There is so much wrong in our world and in our nation and even in our lives which people can and should rightly debate and engage in productive ways to try to address. But none of it will be productive if we, like those Jewish leaders questioning Jesus, forget the importance of their identity found in the Shema. That God has loved us into existence, sustains our every breath and heartbeat, and continues to pursue us, to be intimately close to us, has gone to hell and back so that we can spend eternity with him. That's who our God is. 
That is the God whose words we hear in the scripture and whose body and blood we receive in the Eucharist. So in reality, the scholar's questioning of Jesus isn't about what's most important to him. It was about what was most important to them. And the same can be true for us if we're not careful. May each of us be humble as we check our priorities.